Hello and welcome, Rachel Maddox here. This is Rebloom Our World, a podcast for world-changing witches here to birth personal and collective post-traumatic growth miracles. I am so glad you're here and I can't wait to dive in with today's episode. Welcome, welcome to the Rebloom Dance Temple. Who here needs to dance? I do. It's the beginning of 2022. The last two years were incredibly immobilizing at the body level. Um, I'm personally in, I think, the worst shape of my life. Um, I'm the heaviest I've ever been. I have the most body pain I've ever had. And a few weeks ago, my soul and my spirit started to kind of yell (laughs) this one word over and over and over again. And that word was dance. About eight or nine years ago, I lived in Portland, Oregon, which makes me feel really old to start talking about things like that happened a decade ago, but I was a total adult. But, you know, that's where I'm at. So I lived in Portland, and I personally think some of the best dancing in the world happens in Portland, Oregon. Yes, yes, I will argue with anybody about this. (laughs) I have danced, I've done ecstatic dance in New York City, I've done it in Oakland, I've done it in San Francisco, I've done it all over the U.S., in D.C., um, in Austin. I've danced in Mexico. I think Portland, Oregon has some of the best dance in the world. And the reason is, I, I think, because it's so dreary and rainy. People are super emotional and sensitive, and everybody's on their healing journey. And there's also this need to move that stagnation of the cold, wet, damp out of the body. And so when you're dancing at Ecstatic Dance, which I'll explain in a moment, in Portland, it's a different experience than when you're dancing somewhere else where the weather's always nice or where there's like this pretense of trying to be cool. It's sort of like a given fact that everyone's a little bit depressed in Portland. So you can't pretend otherwise and you don't need to pretend otherwise. And that's what makes it so liberating. You can have the full range and spectrum of your feelings from ecstasy to rage to grief all in the middle of a dance floor with 150 other people okay so I'm about to tell you how to set up how to turn your living room into a dance temple and a few keys for letting yourself dance in a way that is healing and medicinal but first I'll just talk about I wanted to first name my origins so I started um, the practice of ecstatic dance in Portland Oregon with I think they're called the Sacred Circle People and Mindful Meltdown. So twice a week minimum, I would I would let my body do whatever it wanted to do in a ballroom with 100 to 200 people. And there were a few rules of ecstatic dance. The first is that there's no talking on the dance floor. So it's not like being at a club where you might yell over the music and talk to one of your friends. It's about communicating with your body. The second rule is that there are sober events. So it's not about getting inebriated, losing your mind, and 
um, letting your body do whatever it wants. It's actually about embracing what is happening in your body and dancing with it and through it. And um, those are like the two main rules. And then there's some grounding philosophies. One of them, which I've been mentioning, is to really listen for what your body wants to do rather than performing. So there's no choreography in ecstatic dance. There's no moves that you learn that repeat themselves. There's just listening to your body, noticing what it desires to do, and letting your body do that. And that sounds really simple, but it's actually super hard, especially if you have any form of sexual trauma and you're in a you know, room full of a lot of people dancing, if you have a history of being sexualized, if you grew up in the patriarchy, which is all of us, all, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's not so easy to just let our bodies do what they want to do. If you have body image issues, if you've been indoctrinated around your body image, it's, it's challenging. And to me, it is one of the most liberating practices I've ever done and I think I ever will do, is just to simply let my body dance. Now, a branch, we might call it, of ecstatic dance is Five Rhythms. A woman named Gabrielle Roth created this practice called Five Rhythms. And there are five different rhythms, a la the name, that each represent a different energy. And when you're dancing in each of those rhythms, you could potentially, if it feels authentic, let a certain part of your body lead you in the dance. And so I'm going to go through the rhythms because this might be helpful in terms of how you engage with the flow of the the music set that I send you. Um, but it's not required. This isn't like something you have to remember. You could write it down if you want, but it's more something to just let yourself experiment with. So in the five rhythms, the first rhythm is called flowing. Flowing. And the body part that leads with flow is the feet. And the invitation, it's the very beginning, is to let your body move through the space. Let your feet move you through the space, whatever space you're in. To let your body begin to flow with the music. To let the music move you. And to let your feet be what moves. Sometimes when we're dancing, we kind of plant our feet down and let like our upper bodies or our hips do the moving. In this case, it's really about letting your body move through the space, warming yourself up to the space, warming the space up to you. The second rhythm is called staccato and staccato moves into the hip space, uh, the genitals, the knees, and the music of staccato is a little bit more jagged. It has more hard edges. Um, flowing is tends to be a little bit softer, lighter. It's, it's sort of like a warming up, welcoming energy. Staccato invites you into your edges. It invites you into your no. It invites you into your yes. It invites you into defining your space for yourself by again, dropping into your hips, letting your hips and your knees and your pelvis and your genitals guide your dance. And again, this is a place in your body where you get to be decisive. You get to say, 
yes, I want to go in this direction. No, I don't want to go in that direction. Or yes, yes, yes. Or no, no, no. Right? So letting your hips lead you potentially. As you've gone through the first two rhythms, the pace begins to pick itself up. And that that actually happens um, sequentially for the first three rhythms. The first rhythm starts a little slower. The second rhythm, rhythm picks up energy and speed. And then the third rhythm, chaos, moves up from the feet to the hips, all the way up, up, up through the spine. It engages the spine, the neck, the head, the jaw, the top of the head, the hair. It's sort of about letting yourself twist and shake and roar and release, moving up through the spine, rattling into some sort of freedom, into some sort of liberation. It really is a place for you to be as primal as you need to be, to roar, to shout, to cry, to hiss, or to just simply shake it out, to to jump A lot of times in chaos, you see people jumping, you see people thrashing their heads around, you see people moving their whole bodies with vigor. It's a, it's a rhythm of release. And after you've moved through chaos, you often have a feeling of, of relief and of completion to an extent. And it opens you up. It opens you up to have let go. And it opens you up in the heart space often. And it opens you up in the shoulders. And it opens up your arms and your hands to connect with others. And so the next rhythm is lyrical. And lyrical is the rhythm of the heart. It's the rhythm of connection. You know, with chaos, it helps you release all the muck you've been carrying around and shed a layer. And we all know what, what is in front of our heart, right? Protection, a protective barrier. Chaos helps you embody, staccato and chaos both help you embody the protective layers that you need. But once you've moved through those rhythms, can you soften into lyrical, into the dance of the heart and the arms and the hands that connects you with the world around you, connects you with others? So lyrical, the music starts to decent, decline, right? It was coming up into a crescendo for chaos, and then it starts to soften and the music tends to be more moving at the heart level in lyrical. And it's a place where people sometimes partner dance. It's a place where you might really embrace your kind of expressive dancer, like, you know, leaping through the space if you need, or just the drama of your heart. Let the drama of your heart lead in lyrical. And then finally, there's one more rhythm where everything slows down even more. And the part of your body that leads is your breath. And the final rhythm is stillness. And it's about having moved through these first and previous four rhythms. What's left? What is the state of your breath? How does your breath want to move you now? And sometimes people end up coming to total stillness, right? Lying down on their backs, sitting in some kind of prayer pose, Other times, and this is often true for me, like there's still life left in you that wants to be danced, even though the music is calm, you find sort of the melody in the song of stillness, and you pirouette through the space. Sometimes it's more of just letting yourself deeply center in slow motions that ground you 
again, that are guided by your breath. So if your breath were leading, where would it lead you? So that's an overview of the five rhythms. I've taken a few workshops, I've danced a whole bunch of classes, but I've not studied five rhythms. So that's just my interpretation based on what I've seen and done. Taking a sip of my drink. So when I make playlists, I do my best based on what I've learned to create something that more or less follows the inspiration of the five rhythms. So it's not five rhythms itself. You have to be like sort of, it's like a 10 year track to become a, you know, an official five rhythms DJ. I've not taken that track in the mildest form. Um, But I am inspired by that and informed by that. So when you're dancing to one of my playlists, you could potentially experiment with letting those different parts of your body lead. Conversely, you can say, you know what, I'm just, I can't do that. No rules. I need the no structure. I need to just do one thing, which is follow the instincts and the impulses of my body. And that's sort of like the third rule that I began to name, but I didn't officially name as a rule. The most important thing with any ecstatic dance is authentic movement moving in a way that isn't performative for others, but that is inside out expression of your body's needs, your body's desires, your soul's desires. It's all about authenticity rather than performance. And so I really invite you into that practice as you do these dances. Okay, so those are the rules. That's the overview of the five rhythms. Final piece for you to have a totally epic dance temple practice is turning your living room into a dance temple. This is my favorite um, part (laughs) to explain. Um, I am currently in a random little Airbnb in a town called Chesapeake Beach, Maryland on the Chesapeake Bay. Um, My fiance is writing a book and I'm here with him and kind of in my own little creative immersion. And the living room here is tiny, but we're going to turn it into a dance temple. And I, before this, I was at my parents' house. We turned their living room into a dance temple. I've turned my living room at home into a dance temple. I really think anybody could do this. It might be difficult in a bedroom, Uh, where the bed's taking up a lot of space and there's not a lot of floor space. But I do believe most dining rooms, living rooms, kitchens that have a little bit of space could be turned into a dance temple. So don't let that be a barrier for you. Here are the simple components that are needed to turn your living room or whatever room into a dance temple. The first one is, I would say, a handful of candles. Five is a nice number. To light five candles in different places around the room because the only light you're going to be dancing with is candlelight. Whether it's day or night, you're going to turn off all the lights besides the candles and let the candlelight be what illuminates the space. The second thing that you need is a surface that you can create an altar on. That surface could be the coffee table that you push to the side of the room, which I'll explain in a moment. Um, It could be a ledge of a bookshelf. It could be the kitchen counter. It doesn't matter, but a surface that's, I don't know, two feet wide and one feet deep, 
okay? Keep it small and simple. It could be bigger, but you need at least two by one foot to create an altar. Um, other things that you need on your altar besides one candle. If you have a few crystals, get some crystals. Um, if you have a scarf that you like, get, get a scarf out. If you have a few ca- decks of cards that you like, you could get some card decks out. You could have a picture of an ancestor. You can keep it real simple. It can be as simple as one candle, a scarf, and a crystal, right? If we want to go minimal, those three things, you all of a sudden have an altar. So once you have the materials, which are just what I laid out, candles, scarf, crystal, (laughs) you need a speaker as well. That's important. Um... Or headphones, if you're doing this and you don't want whoever's around you to hear. So some listening device that amplifies the music in a way that is exciting. The last thing you have to do is clear your space. So, for example, the living room that I'm going to turn into a temple after this has a rug on the floor that that lifts up. I'm going to move the rug. Um... In my parents' house, there was a coffee table and like an ottoman and a kitchen table. Move everything to the perimeter of the space. Make as much space as you can in your room, in your, in your living room or kitchen. And push everything aside and find the spot that's the altar spot. Once you've pushed everything aside, the final step is to sweep or vacuum. This is important. It's actually really important. Because you want to be able to take your socks off and dance barefoot. Um, If you dance with shoes or whatever, cool. But I recommend dancing barefoot. And you want your feet to feel like they're on a temple floor. And the temple floor is not dirty. It's clean, right? So sweep the floor. Sweep the floor. Vacuum the floor. It doesn't have to be perfect, but do it. as As part of the ceremony of saying, we've just created a temple. So the order I recommend is push everything out. Light your candles all around your space. Set up an altar. You can put the candle in the middle of the table. You can put the scarf around the candle, crystal in front of the candle or to the side. You can get two decks of cards. The reason I say two is because a lot of the dance sets, I'm going to invite you to feel into two different energies inside of yourself. And sometimes it's fun. This is part of what I do for my practice to pull a card for each of the energies. It could be from one deck or it could be from two decks. A deck that you're familiar with that you don't have to go read the book. Pull a card from each of the energies to help you embrace that part of yourself even more as you dance. Okay, so you set up your altar, you light all your candles, you you move things aside, you sweep the floor. You've got your speaker. You're ready to go. The only thing else that I recommend is if you're with anyone else, let them know the rules. There's no talking on the dance floor. We're going to do a little intro to the dance, which will be the sermons that you get for each of the dance temples. Then I'm going to press play on the, on the playlist. Once the playlist has ended, we'll come back into the circle and we'll reflect on our dance. We're not going to go into casual conversation because the dance is going to be a journey. So we're going to reflect on the journey. What happened for you that you want to share? You don't have to share, but what happened for you? Um, This is reminding me of one other rule, 
which is that you can witness. You don't have to move your body the whole time. Witnessing is a form of dance. So if you're with more than one person, or even if you're just by yourself, you can always sit down. If the music isn't moving, you don't force it. Other people might say, try to move with it anyway. You could do that. But I would say witnessing is a powerful form of the dance. There's a difference between witnessing and checking out. So it's not that, first of all, another rule, no phones. Like you're not getting on your phone, you're not doing something else. But you can witness either somebody else's dance or just the music itself. Or what it feels like to say, I don't want to dance right now, I'm going to sit out. You can witness yourself. So witnessing is part of the dance. Okay, so if you gather with people, explain the rules. No talking, witnessing is a form of dance. Let your body do whatever it wants to do. I'm going to press play on the pod, on the um, sermon and then on the playlist. And then afterward, we'll have a small digestion. I recommend closing your space, like the digestion. If you have a, a bell, a chime, a drum, um, a singing bowl, closing your space in some way and officially like closing the container. So that's it. Those are the instructions for Dance Temple, and that's a little bit of context. I hope you love it. And your first Dance Temple sermon and playlist are up at rachelmaddox.substack.com under Radical Self-Consent. It's also available wherever you found this podcast under Rebloom Our World and Radical Self-Consent. Enjoy. If you loved today's show, it would mean so much to me if you subscribed, shared with a friend, or left a review. They all help more ears hear this medicine. Love.